This is Edward Mazur, chairman of the City Club of Chicago. Our speaker today was the House of Representatives Speaker Emanuel Chris Welch, who was elected House Speaker in January of 2021. Chris Welch has been a member of the Legislative Assembly, the Illinois House of Representatives, since 2013. He is an attorney, a graduate of Proviso West High School, Northwestern University, and the John Marshall Law School. In a very animated discussion, Speaker Welch talked about a number of important issues, equity, social justice, the effect of the pandemic, both short-term, long-term, public and private education, issues relating to health care, the census, public safety, and redistricting, where he talked about such matters as gerrymandering, minority representation, and party representation. He talked about his cabinet, which has included a number of women and African-American and Hispanics as being the most diverse cabinet in the history of the state of Illinois. He addressed increasing opportunities in the skilled trades and apprenticeships for people who are not interested in going on to traditional college and university education. He talked about issues relating to mental and physical health in post-COVID state of Illinois. And he talked about the need for congeniality, for developing a true bipartisanship between both sides of the aisle, the Republicans and the Democrats. He completed his comments by talking about pensions. What can we expect from the Illinois legislature? What can we expect from the executive branch? What can we expect from the pension system leaders and the pensioners themselves? He concluded his remarks by saying, we need to rebuild public trust in the legislature and the legislative process. Good afternoon, everyone. Thank you for joining the City Club's presentation today. I am Jackie Robinson Ivy, a board member of City Club Chicago, and today we have the privilege of hearing a conversation, first comments, and then a conversation from the Speaker of the House, Emmanuel Chris Welch. I'm going to give you a brief bio. I won't go over everything because I think most of us know Chris pretty well. Emmanuel Chris Welch has been a state representative from the 7th District of Illinois since 2013. He was elected Speaker of the House in January of 2021 after serving on several key committees, including Chairman of the Executive Committee and as a member of Revenue, Cities and Villages, cities, counties, and townships, and higher education. As a representative, Chris was focused on improving classroom education, creating jobs, helping the most vulnerable, and streamlining government. Chris has been the chief sponsor of several pieces of historic legislation, including the law bringing cursive writing back to our schools. Welch has been recognized with several significant awards for his legislative record, including the prestigious Zeke Jury Award from the AFL-CIO and the Friend of Education Award from the Illinois Education Association. Prior to joining the General Assembly, Welch served 12 years on the Proviso Township High School Board of Education. His last 10 years, he served as the board chair. Welch led the Proviso School Board in the creation of the Proviso Math and Science Academy, something he's very proud of. Currently, Chris Welch is of counsel at the firm of Ansel and Glink. Prior to that, he served as a partner at Sanchez, Daniels, and Hoffman from 2007 to 2018. 
Um, Chris is a graduate of the Proviso West High School, Northwestern University, and the John Marshall Law School. He is a 2016 inductee of the John Marshall Law School Wall of Fame. Welch is married to Shantae, the beautiful Shantae, and his two children, Tyler and Marley, two of my favorite young people. He believes that he will always find a way or he will make one. I'm going to pass the mic at this point to the speaker, and then we'll come back with uh, some questions from our members. Speaker Welch. Well, thank you, Jackie. Uh, good afternoon, everyone. Uh, and thank you for having me uh, here today. Uh, it is an honor and a privilege to be here with all of you as the new speaker of the Illinois House of Representatives. I have attended so many uh, City Club of Chicago events throughout the years, and never in my wildest dreams did I ever think I would be here speaking to you as the speaker of the Illinois House. This is historic. It's a monumental moment in our state's history, and I'm extremely proud to be in this moment. It's a new day. It's a new era, and we're going to have a new approach. I'm honored that in this new day in Illinois, that I'm one of a, a, a number of historical achievements. Uh, I'm congratulating and proud of my friend, uh, Congresswoman Robin Kelly, the new chair of the Democratic Party of Illinois. I'm proud of the first Latina to represent the 22nd District, Representative Angie Guerrero Cuellar. We have some big moments yet ahead of us and more proud moments ahead of us. And I am happy and honored to be a part of that. I don't think a day will go by that I don't reckon with the fact that I am the first black person to hold this office. Speaker of the Illinois House of Representatives. If I'm honest, the weight of that creates a sort of apprehension inside of me. The only thing that offers some solace is the fact that there's so much more history to make, not for me as an individual, but for all of us, for all of us who love and have pride in the great state of Illinois. I firmly believe that we are about to embark on what is likely to be the most consequential years of our lifetime. Over the past couple of months, it's been an honor to speak with my colleagues throughout the house and hear how I can serve them during this uniquely challenging time. After each conversation I have had with my colleagues, I am reminded of one thing. While Illinois is one of the most diverse states in the country, racially, socioeconomically, geographically, we gather together in Springfield as representatives of the people to try to do some good that will make everyone's life better. We've truly lost sight of that these days. We work for the people. We're here to do some good for everyone. It's one thing to pursue your vision for society with confidence and determination. But as a country, we have allowed ourselves to confuse conviction with malicious contempt. And that kind of animosity is showing up here in Illinois, too. One of the things I want to do as one of our legislative leaders is move away from that. I suspect we all feel the gravity of the particular set of issues facing us today. A 
global pandemic that doesn't care about Chicagoland versus downstate, lost jobs, paralyzing health costs, mental health crises, and a school system that's trying to remain safe and reliable for our kids. I don't need to impress upon you the imperative of bold, decisive leadership, but I do want to emphasize that we must do this together. You are going to hear me say that often. We must do this together. That sounds like it would be a message for my fellow political actors, but it applies to all of us here this afternoon. We must do this together. Much of the change Illinois needs is around how we treat each other, how we comport ourselves as leaders. The media and political junkies assume I'm here to be the new party king. I don't want to be anybody's king. That could be the furthest from the truth. I'm not here to roll out top-down decisions and direction on policymaking and legislating. I am really here to get things done fast and decisively, but done well and collaboratively. People need us to act. They need to see us do that by working together. At the end of the day, beyond the politicking, the deal-making, and the usual business between business and politics, we ultimately answer to our communities. We are accountable to our communities. We need a spirit of unprecedented cooperation and congeniality at this time. As long as I am speaker, I will work to make sure the Illinois House of Representatives operates in a way that reflects the commitment to openness and collaboration the public expects of all of us. I want to talk to you about a few of my priorities here today. Equity and justice is right in the center. Democratized, decentralized leadership is how we arrive at solutions that are deeper and more compelling than the challenges and injustices we face. The crisis before us is particularly acute. 1.18 million of our friends, neighbors, and loved ones sickened by a deadly virus, our most vulnerable seniors and our military heroes put at risk, careers shattered, businesses lost, and livelihoods put on hold by the economic downturn accompanying this pandemic. The failure of critical institutions like the Illinois Department of Employment Security and even the federal government to adapt to meet the needs of this moment. But if we are honest, we have to admit that the challenges were, were always there, not just uh, during the pandemic, but before the pandemic. COVID-19 only shined a light on many of the things that we've been failing at for years. The strife and tragedy we're seeing today, we're seeing today is the result of systemic disparities that have been at play for decades, centuries even. Where do we go? How do we solve this? I truly believe that this needs to be an eye-opening moment for each and every one of us. We need bold change, but that change needs to be anchored by a deep sense of equity and justice for us all, but particularly for those who are marginalized by traditional power structures. That means every issue we tackle needs to be addressed through a racial and gender equity lens. It is not a separate bucket of work. 
It's a principle that weaves through all policy fronts. The question remains, how do we make it reality? As I lay out my vision here, I think you'll see many of the ways that I believe my first legislative as speaker, we can help make it a reality or at least get closer there. And many of these ideas are laid out by the conversations I've had with my colleagues. First and foremost, our efforts to control the spread of COVID-19 and aid the vaccination of all Illinois residents is extremely important. Thankfully, Illinois has been a model for the nation in terms of our response to COVID-19, mitigation efforts, testing abilities, and vaccine rollout despite an inept federal response at the top of the year that is finally improving. The work on healthcare does not stop there. This is an area where we cannot simply go back to normal. We can not go back to normal. We need to ensure that our healthcare system can provide the best care possible for all Illinoisans, not just the wealthy. Regardless of race, ethnicity, or immigration status, that means we need to tackle health equity and partnership with local governments across this state. We need to stop hospitals closing. Hospitals closing in poor communities is not right. And it's time for us all to stand up for healthcare equity. Unfortunately, those who have been able to evade the virus have likely been hit with astounding levels of financial stress. We need to rebuild our economy so our economies reopen stronger than ever. If we are being intentional about focusing on small businesses and communities of color, now we can keep that intentionality going forward even after the pandemic. We also need to maintain Illinois' rightful place as a destination for investment, innovation, and talent development. This is a world-class state with world-class destinations. If we have to rebuild career paths, we can have a renewed commitment to equitable job training and vocational education across the entire state. For our residents currently in college, economic relief can involve protecting them from crushing unsustainable student debt. This also means prioritizing the welcoming, integration, and protection of immigrant families so they can have access to state aid, job training, and job placement programs. Illinois must also continue to lead in the area of women's rights. I am so proud of our work in this area the last few years, but we can't stop now. We have to continue to lead in this area. We will put forth policies that forever protect women's reproductive health care, eliminate wage disparities, and ensure that women have access to the same resources as others to ensure the playing field is even as they work to build a life for themselves and their loved ones. Further, we will continue to advance legislation that seeks to eliminate the unconscionable disparity of healthcare outcomes experienced by black women in our state. We have to, it's a must, it's not an option. And to address each of these goals responsibly and with an eye to sustainable future, we will work to balance the budget with the priorities that we hold near and dear. 
we will continue to restore the draconian cuts of the prior gubernatorial administration. This means adequately funding our schools, protecting the environment, repairing our crumbling infrastructure, protecting and supporting our world-class agricultural community, and providing our social services with the funding they need to continue their work on behalf of the most vulnerable. Lastly, I wanna close my comments on an issue that com compounds all of these challenges, ethics. We can't serve the public if they don't trust us, period. We can't serve the public if they don't trust us. To that point, I've reached out. I've talked with my fellow Democrats. I've talked to Republicans. I've spoken with groups like this and several other advocates. We will be taking up an ethics reform package to restore the public's trust in government. Change won't happen overnight but it will happen. As Sam Cook said, change is gonna come and it's gonna be substantive. We will draw on the thoughtful work that has been done in this area by the Joint Commission on Ethics and Lobbying Reform to implement common sense reforms that strengthen the trust Illinoisans have in their elected officials. We will focus with renewed specificity on transparency, prohibitions on conflicts of interest, and renew our commitment to work in the public's best interests. I believe this is a vision we can all work together to achieve. While a global pandemic, an unprecedented economic downturn, and shaking confidence in government would seek to drive us further apart, we know that our unity, our diversity, and compassion for one another are our greatest strengths. Let's set a course today for Illinois' future so we can look back tomorrow with great pride. Now's the time for compelling, solemn leadership. Let's stand united and let's build a stronger Illinois together. Let's go to work, everyone. Thank you so much, Speaker. This is a time where uh, if we were live and in person, everyone would be doing the standing ovation and everything, and you'd get time for some water. So I'm going to give you that opportunity right now. Um, I'm sure everyone is probably applauding wherever they are. Um, we have a ton of things to get into, but before we do so, um, I want to take a brief moment just to um, recognize our sponsors. And um, I didn't actually get to tell you who the sponsors were. So first, we've got Stiefel as a presenting sponsor. Ann and Robert Lurie Children's Hospital of Chicago, Barton Healthcare, Deloitte, Loyola University of Chicago, Northern Trust, and People's Gas. Uh, we'd like to thank each one of our sponsors, as well as our hardworking staff here at City Club. Uh, they work tirelessly to try to continue to bring us good programming, and we don't want to take that for granted. And then our illustrious board under the leadership of Dr. Ed Mazur. We'd like to thank each one of our board members as well. Um, we have a plethora of questions to get into, and you touched on, you stole a little bit of my thunder um, in your wonderful presentation. I'm sure there will be people who will be going back to listen to it to get all the nuggets from it, but we're going to touch everything from the women's rights to equity and justice and inequity and injustice to the pandemic, schools, healthcare. We're going to touch it all. So let's get into this. Okay. Okay. 
Uh, let's start with, uh, you talked a little bit about your plans, but we have a question from a um, Jeff Bartow from the Southwest Organizing Project. I like to tell you, if we can, who's asking the questions in case there's some connectivity with you um, and they may be in Springfield for something to talk to you about for at some point in time. So Jeff Bartow says, can you talk about what your priorities are? Well, I think this year the priorities kind of set themselves, Jackie. You know, we're in the midst of COVID-19 and please everyone, you know, we do see a light at the end of the tunnel, but we are still in the midst of a global health pandemic. Please continue to wear your mask, wash your hands and watch your distance and get the vaccine shot. If you can get the vaccine shot, please, when it's your turn, uh, because we're close, but we're not out of it yet. And I am really happy to see that President Biden and Vice President Harris uh, have really hit the ground running and Finally, we're getting some, uh, the, the federal government is leading the way like it should have a year ago at this time. What we saw last week come out of Washington with re- the American Rescue Plan is going to be very helpful to states like Illinois. Uh, the, the, the $13.7 billion that we're going to gain from that package, $7 billion to the state, $6.7 billion to local governments is going to be extremely helpful to us. It's going to help us get the, va- the vaccine out there and, and, and distribute it. It's going to help us uh, reopen our schools safely. Uh, and, and this is really important. It's going to help us help small businesses. Uh, so I'm thankful for President Biden, uh, uh, President Biden and Vice President Harris, our Illinois congressional delegation, because we have to stop the week by week, month by month approach to COVID. That's number one. And number two, we have to make sure we leave in May with a responsible balanced budget, a budget that protects our most vulnerable. Uh, And I'm really looking forward uh, to getting to work with my colleagues and and, and passing a responsible balanced budget. Uh, Third, ethics reform, ethics reform, ethics reform. You're going to hear me talk about that a lot. We have to rebuild trust in in the legislature, in what we do. Uh, And of course, uh, every 10 years, always a top priority of any legislature um, is the redistricting. Uh, so those four things alone, you take any one of those, it makes for an interesting session. But those four things combined is really interesting for a new speaker. <laughs> I, I think that is absolutely on point. And while I said we have a ton of questions, so I'm going to push a little bit. But I want to kind of stick with that redistricting for a minute. Um, Joseph DeGarzis, pardon me if I've butchered your name, I hope I didn't, um, from a company called Joko, says, on redistricting, what is your thinking on leveling the three-legged stool, gerrymandering, minority, rep- minority representation, and party representation, um, and t- talk a little bit about the census. So if you could kind of couple all that together in a couple of minutes. Well, you know, every 10 years we go through the redistricting process, and I can tell you that uh, both the Senate and the House uh, are beginning that process now. We're at the very early stages. Uh, we have both named our redistricting committees. Uh, the Senate will begin their hearings tomorrow, uh, and we will begin our hearings uh, over spring break uh, in, in just a couple of weeks. Uh, we're going to have 23 hearings that go all over the state. There's not going to be an area of the state that we don't touch And I think it's extremely important that as we embark on this process and the hearings that we have, uh, people should participate in those hearings. Those are 
are very important evidentiary hearings that are part of any redistricting process. Uh, and the information that we receive at those hearings, we can we can use that information to help us uh, in this very important process. Uh, I will tell you that, you know, a goal of mine during this, repro- this process is to be open and transparent. Uh, but I think the end goal has to be to arrive at fair maps that have equitable representation for underserved and overlooked communities across the entire state. Uh, I don't know how anyone could look at a map and call it a fair map if it doesn't reflect the diversity of our state. Diversity is the strength of Illinois, and any map has to reflect that diversity. Great. Thank you very much. Um, so we've talked a little bit about your um, your cabinet and having so many women, which I think is fabulous and how appropriate to, for us to talk about that in March, right? Um, congratulations on bringing so many um so much diversity and, and, and so many women that are just smart, intelligent, talented. And, um, because I happen to know Shante, I know that, um, you, you deal well with, um, dealing with smart women. So, um, that was a little nod to the speaker's wife who is awesome in her own right. Um, let's switch topics just a little bit. Jason Galdron from the Untapped Potential Project asks a very good question. For years, we have focused on people going to higher education, four-year universities, two universities. This question says, with your leadership and engagement, what actions can be taken to help improve access and opportunities for workers and aspiring students to enter into the skills trade, skilled trades and apprenticeship programs? You know, that's one of the things that um, I have worked on even before becoming speaker uh, and since becoming speaker two months ago uh, I have already uh, started having important meetings uh, and visited visits with labor uh, you know we have to be very intentional in this moment that we're in we have to ask the tough questions and uh, in many instances make people feel uncomfortable uh, if they're uncomfortable they know they have to make some changes And so we've been having conversations with our friends in labor who admit that uh, there's a lot more things that can be done and should be done. uh, And we're holding their their feet to the fire. Uh, You know, I've had several visits over the last few weeks uh, to apprentice schools uh, in the area uh, to uh, see uh, the, the apprentice schools and to talk to them about their systems and improving their systems and getting more uh, people of color into those apprentice schools. I'm also working with Leader Jay Hoffman right now on legislation that we believe will help improve the diversity numbers uh, in, in labor. Uh, it's extremely important. And uh, I don't think that I could be in a position like this as the first black lawmaker to serve as Speaker of the House and not be intentional about improving uh, um uh, diversity in, in all professions, not just uh, in the skilled trades, but in all professions. We have to be very intentional about opportunities that's going to help uplift everyone, uh, and especially those that have traditionally been overlooked. Excellent. Um, I think certainly with the pandemic, there are um, more than our fair share of opportunities for um, not just young people, but people who are changing professions um, because their profession may have uh, quieted or slowed down that are often going into different um, new new uh, roads of, of income. I think it's great. Now, this is going to be a little challenging. This is I have five questions on healthcare, and I'm going to try to lump them 
together. Um, the, the wonderful Susan Shear has asked a question. We've got Katie Bobbitt and um, Bruce Seawick from Laden Family Services as well. Um, I've got questions about Alzheimer's and how it has been affected. Um, we know that it has increased during the pandemic and we know that the deaths have also increased. Um, I just have a very dear friend who, um, whose grandfather just, um, his, his dementia accelerated tremendously and he, um, unfortunately succumbed to, to, to the disease and lost his fight. Um, we have another one that is talking about mental health in the post COVID area and how we've managed mental health during the during the pandemic. Um, there's another question about substance abuse um, for those who are dealing with nonprofits, um, Medicare, managed Medicaid. And um, I'm going to ask you to somehow just sort of, if you can put this in a ball and talk about how we are challenged with this whole healthcare um, amidst the pandemic, but then post the pandemic, how are we going to, from your seat, you talked about the closed hospitals. You talked about um, the difficulty in getting access to treatment. Um, how are we going to attack that, particularly in session this year, uh, this se- in this session with your folks, um, your healthcare committee, et cetera? How are they going to attack all of this? Because certainly Illinois is not alone. But um, my mama used to say, I'm not really concerned about everybody else. I'm worried about what's going on in my house. And um, I, that's kind of the, the way I want to phrase this question right now. Jackie, that's a great question. Uh, and if anyone that's been following my legislative career knows that, you know, I was very passionate about uh, uh, Westlake Hospital uh, here in my area and near and dear to me and uh, Representative Willis and several of the folks in the western suburbs. And I think it's extremely important uh, that we are very intentional about uh, providing access to health care not just to the wealthy, but to lower income communities as well. And we have to not just talk about it. We have to do the work. Uh, And I think if you look at what the legislature is currently vetting, uh, has in committee and and working through, we have some great bills that are going to address these very issues. Uh, We're going to be returning. The House is going to be returning to Springfield this week. Um, And on Thursday, We're going to be taking up a few bills uh, on the board. One of those bills is uh, Representative Camille Lilly's health care pillar legislation. It was one of the Black Caucus's uh, four pillar bills. It was the only one of four that did not make it out of lame duck session. And so we're going to pick up where we left off because that health care pillar bill really addresses some of the important issues that you're talking about here. And we're looking forward to going down to Springfield to finish that work this week with regard to the health care pillar bill. Secondly, you know, we have an amazing committee that is chaired by um, Representative Deb Conroy from DuPage County, who is extremely passionate about mental health. Take a look at what is going on in the mental health and addiction committee. And we have some great legislation that is pending. Uh, right now that uh, uh, I'm, I'm sure we'll, we'll make it out of committee and onto the floor for uh, uh, more discussion and, and hopefully uh, passage onto the Senate that's going to deal with uh, early intervention, telehealth services, uh, insurance, Medicaid insurance with regard to mental health services and things of that nature. You know, 
we're really trying to hit these issues head on because do understand COVID-19 only shined a light on what we already knew. And those issues are going to exist when we are on the other side of COVID-19. And so now that everyone in the world knows what we already knew, uh, let's, let's put some policies in place to address these issues. And we have several uh, bills percolating in the legislature right now, and I think it's going to get us there. Thank you. Um, Josh Harris asks a question. I'm going to dovetail on some of the Black Caucus's um, four pillars. Um, the wealth of the typical Black family in the United States is 13% of that of a white family, and the Hispanic family is about 21% of that of a white family. What can you do to talk about what the General Assembly is going to do to continue uh, working on the closing the wealth gap? Well, you know, that's been very near and dear to me as well. Uh, my eight years in the legislature, Jackie, working with you, uh, you know, uh, on issues in the banking space, trying to make sure that banks lend in the black community to black families, to black businesses, you know, trying to get access to uh, corporate boards. Uh, as you know, I passed legislation that required corporate boards headquartered in Illinois. Uh, to disclose their corporate board makeup. And the first report of that data came out just a couple of weeks ago, which shows that Blacks and Latinos and and, and Asians are are vastly underrepresented uh, here. Women are vastly underrepresented. And I think by shining a light on these things will make people want to do better. And uh, we're already seeing that happen. Uh, We're also, you know, shining a light on, uh, you know, entities that do business with the state receive funding from the state and how they're spending their money. Uh, if we're going to close the wealth gap, you got to give black and brown people an opportunity uh, to uh, get access to the money uh, that we're allocating in, in, in our state budget. Our universities have to increase their BEP spending. Our managed care organizations have to increase their BEP spending. I met with a managed care organization six or seven months ago, long before my name ever surfaced as a candidate for Speaker of the House. And they were giving me nothing but excuses about why they uh, couldn't meet uh, their BEP uh, numbers. And I said to them, excuses are tools of the incompetent. They build bridges to nowhere, and those who use them are monuments of nothing. We can do better. We should do better. I don't want to hear excuses. A couple of weeks ago, I met with the same company. And not only were they meeting their BEP goals, they were exceeding them. And so when you're intentional and you're holding people's feet to the fire, we can do better. And and that's what we have to do here uh, in this moment. Excellent. Um, So switching hats here a little bit. um, You've talked about congeniality, and I know that you mean that. I know that you played baseball at Northwestern and, uh, you know, you learned go Cats. Speaker Welch is uh, a huge Northwestern fan and a huge Cubs fan. And um, I, I will tell you, I have a standing joke with him about the Go Cubs Go song, but I, I, I won't ask him to sing it this right at this point. Um, Please don't. <laughs> I, I won't. I promise I won't. Um, so I, I know that congeniality is a big, big issue for you, um, both with your uh colleagues in the Senate and in the House and the Senate, and then um, also just with um, the everyday uh, worker bee in the state of Illinois. And um, I want to talk pensions. 
I want to talk about what you plan to do. You know, it's it's the 800, 1,600-pound gorilla, whatever you want to call it, elephant in the room, and it doesn't go away. And we happen to be extremely challenged in the state of Illinois. Um, talk to me about what your plans are with um, not just with the House, but working with the executive directors of the pensions of the state and um, talking to other colleagues on how we can, uh, I don't even know if we started, but how we're going to continue continue to build and dig our way out of this pension debt problem. And the question actually came from, I need to give the person credit who asked the question. It came from uh, Stephen Richards from Richards Graphics Communications. Well, thank you, Stephen, for the question. And, you know, you, you have to be living in a cave somewhere and not know that Illinois has a pension problem. Uh, and so I think we begin, uh, number one, by working together. This isn't a Democratic problem. It's not a Republican problem. So blaming it on one party um, uh, is not helpful or constructive. Uh, we have to do uh, dig ourselves out of this hole uh, by working together. We have to sit around the table and, and come up with solutions that we can we can all agree on um, uh, to get us there. You know, I mean, everyone knows that my opinion is that I think we have a, a, a fundamentally unfair tax system. Uh, it, it is fundamentally unfair. We are one of seven states that has a flat tax. And so I have said before I became a state representative and the entire time I've been a state representative that we really need to look at uh, changing our fundamentally unfair tax structure. Uh, and, and so we need to get groups around the table and talk about how we can, how we can address that issue so that we can help uh, address this pension uh, system and, and listen to other ideas as well. I mean, that's just one idea out there, but what are some of the other ideas? Uh, and we have to not be um, uh, critical of folks sharing their ideas. We have to encourage them to bring their ideas forward uh, so that we can have an open exchange of ideas and information because that's how you're going to get things done and, and, and encourage people to work together. Thank you. We talked uh, just a couple of questions ago about skilled labor and um, the trades. Let's talk a little bit about universities and the exorbitant cost that we're dealing with and some of the lost revenue that they've faced during the pandemic. Michael Herring has at, is asking a question, but I'm sure there are several people who are watching who are also um, interested, probably people who have student loan debt, people who are getting ready to send their kids to college, um, those who have, as you know, you mentioned that your kids are um, back in the classroom, but you know there are lots of people um, in college. There are lots of kids who are students who are not back in the classroom yet, and all of this is extremely, extremely expensive. And I know that the um, American um, Repair Bill will help a lot of that coming from the federal government. But what are your plans with respect to the universities and colleges in the state of Illinois? Well, the American Rescue Plan certainly uh, helps uh, the the. The, the money that was put into the American Rescue Plan uh, is going to be extremely helpful to us as we deal with uh, this difficult situation that we're in. Everyone was dramatically hurt by this pandemic that we're in. Uh, and reopening our schools safely is critically important to all of us. Uh, and so we have to make sure that we use the funds that we're about to receive from the federal government wisely. 
And we have to also continue to do the right things with uh, the funds that we, we have in the state. It's good to see that our, our revenues, our collections are better uh, than we anticipated. Uh, um, you know, many of us thought at this time last year that uh, it was going to be really dire, but our revenue collections have been better than anticipated. Uh, so, you know, I think we're going to be able to um, put together a nice, reasonable, uh, balanced budget that doesn't hurt our schools. Uh, I'm also pleased with the work that we've done uh, with the four-year MAP awards, uh, also the, the fixes to the AIM High program. Uh, those are two uh, programs that I think are going to be extremely helpful to us, uh, attracting and retaining students to Illinois universities. Uh, it's critical that we get students here into our universities. If we're going to lift up Illinois and you know, lift up the Illinois economy, we can't continue to overlook our universities. We have to hold them high because the data clearly shows that when you get a student here into one of our universities, 92% of them stay here after graduation from college. They buy homes, they buy cars, they get married, they have kids, they pay taxes. And so that's how you lift up the economy. We can't continue uh, the two decades long uh, history of disinvestment in our higher education institutions. We have to invest in them. And that includes the infrastructure of those buildings on campuses. Um, we have to lift them up because that's truly one of the paths uh, toward uh, rebuilding a stronger Illinois. We need to get that done before Tyler heads off to one of those wonderful universities and plays baseball and then becomes a Cub. So we've got oh, some long before that. He's only eight. I hope we can get it done right. before that. Right. And since we know his goal is to go to school, play baseball and become a Cub, we've got some work to do. So let's get let's get to work on that. So um, my dear friend and fellow board member, um, Anne-Marie St. Germain, asks a question. Um, please expand on how you intend to rebuild the public trust of the legislature. I, I'm, I'm wondering, I know you uh, relatively well, and I'm thinking, are you thinking of building a brain trust? Are you um, talking about getting uh, across and downstate horizontal and a, uh, uh, a, what's the other word? horizontal and the other one up and down. I can't remember where the word is right now. Um, blame it on my sinus headache, please. Uh, are you planning on building a, a brain trust of, of, of uh, constituents around the state to talk about building this trust? You've said, and I think your mantra is, we must do this together. You've said it three times during your opening remarks. Um, what are your plans to actually get to that everyday, you know, you know, a me, you know, someone who's just a citizen of the state of Illinois and rebuilding our trust in um, our Illinois legislature, both the House and the Senate? Well, Jackie, I think the first step to rebuilding trust uh, in the legislature is trying to be open and transparent um, as much as possible. I think doing events like this are important just to show that you're accessible uh, and, and willing to share information about the process and how we work. I also think it's important that we take up an ethics reform package. Uh, we have to take up an ethics reform package to restore the public's trust in government. You know, and, and I've said it, that change is not going to happen overnight, but it will happen and it will be substantive. You know, and we may not get it all done in 2021, but guess what? Legislatures are, are two year, uh, on a two-year cycle. Uh, and so at least in the House we are. And so we can get something done in 2021, 
And then in 2022, we get something else done. And you look back on that, the, this last two years, and you'll say, wow, they've done a lot. And, you know, people will doubt what you say. They believe what you do. And so we have to show through our actions uh, that we mean business, uh, that we're, um, you know, addressing conflicts of interest and shining a light on our process. And that's going to help uh, rebuild the public's trust in what we're doing. We've got um, some questions that are dealing with um, housing and um, disabilities. So we know that lots of people, um, Amanda literally has just brought me probably 10 more questions. So that means I'm going to have to speed things up here a little bit. Um, there's a question from Mark McHugh and from Amy Zimmerman, and there are a couple of others. Pardon me if I miss your names, um, members and friends, but I'm trying to crunch everything up here. What will be done about the great need of affordable housing, including housing for people with disabilities to help them reach their highest level of independence again, post the pandemic, because we know that we've got some challenges during the pandemic. Well, and and as I've said uh, several times before, the the pandemic only shined a light on things that already existed before the pandemic. And they're definitely going to be there after the pandemic. If we don't uh, address them, we have to take, this moment and put some good policies in place that's going to help us uh, come through this uh, the right way. And one of the things that we did at the very beginning was we created a new housing committee, uh, which is chaired by a representative, Will Gazzardi, uh, uh, who is doing a phenomenal job with that new committee. I encourage everyone to take a look at uh, ILGA.gov and go to the housing committee and look at the work uh, that's been assigned to that committee, they are taking up a lot of substantive reforms uh, that can really um, hit head on many of these issues. Also, uh, Thursday, when we convene in Springfield this week, in addition to the health care pillar bill, Representative Delia Ramirez, uh, who's a, uh, equally passionate about housing issues, uh, will be bringing forth uh, you know, an emergency COVID relief bill with regard to housing uh, that we're going to address uh, on Thursday. Uh, so we're rolling up our sleeves and we're getting to work and we're tackling a lot of these issues head on. And if you want to know what's important to us is look at a lot of the, the committees that we put in place for this General Assembly and housing being one of them. Thank you. Quick hit. Terry Weaver says, should community colleges be able to confer bachelor degrees? in your opinion? Well, you know, that's an issue I, I do believe is, is pending in the legislature, and I certainly don't want to get ahead of it. Um, it's been around for a couple of years, and um, I think, you know, that issue has to be properly vetted. Uh, what are the pros? What are the cons of it? Um, and, you know, we'll see how that goes. Jeff Scott says about 30% of people's gas customers are behind in their gas bills in Chicago. Do you see the added costs guaranteed as a part of this problem? And if so, how will you help to work to end the monthly surcharges? I think probably to amend the monthly surcharges, maybe what he meant. Jackie, I don't fully understand the question, but I think if, if the, um, inquiry is about how are we going to help people struggling with increased costs as a result of COVID-19. Uh, we're certainly looking at what the restrictions are uh, on the on the federal money that's coming in. Uh, I've had conversations with Governor Pritzker and Senator Harmon and 
we're working to allocate uh, monies from the American Rescue Plan uh, to a special fund that we will then appropriate uh, as a legislature uh, to rental assistance, mortgage assistance, and hopefully utility bill assistance and things of that nature uh, when we do eventually pass a budget. People are struggling, uh, and they're struggling in so many different ways. And so we have to uh, look at all of these different ways people are struggling and figure out a way to address them. And I know increased utility bills, gas bills among them, uh, um, have, have people looking at their bank accounts and trying to figure out how to, how to, how to pay the bills. Uh, and so we, we got to figure out ways to help them. Yeah. I, um, actually was, um, commenting on my electric bill and, um, I, I couldn't believe just the increase, but realizing that we are in the house, that we are using all of the electricity, um, while we're working every day, um, would make our bills, you know, increase substantially. And I didn't think about that for a minute. I think oftentimes we just think we just flick the switch and it, you know, comes on or flick it and it goes off, but there's so much more engaged, um, electricity that we're using, uh, more water that we're using, um, you know, just from being in the homes and not being in our offices. And, um, thank you for answering that question. Uh, Creole Hampton, um, is I'm sure engaged in with um, one of the four pillars again with Representative Lilly and the others, but she has great concern about the fact that um, the HIV AIDS crisis um, in, in, in impacts the black community um, so much more than what is reflected. And um, a lot of the dollars go to um, white led agencies. Um, I'm assuming that, uh, and I don't know, you can answer it, um, Representative Lilly and the other people who are working in healthcare um, are working on um, this issue for Blacks, non-Hispanics, um, the increase of that. Well, and she says Black people are 15% of the Illinois population, but 48% of the new and existing cases. Um, it just, again, it goes back to what you're saying. These are things that we already knew, but, you know, things have lifted into the pandemic has lifted a hood on things. I'm assuming that someone in your group will um, probably get with Ms. Hampton at some point. Um, she's from Greater Works and, and you probably already know her. We are looking at everything uh, through an, an equity lens. And I believe that that is a fundamental responsibility of government. Uh, we have to look at things through an equity lens. And so when you see numbers like that, you have to say, um, that's one of the areas that we're, we're taking a good hard look at. Uh, and that's why the work of Representative Lilly and the Black Caucus is so important. Um, I'm thankful that the governor uh, has signed two of the, the uh, four pillar bills. Looking forward to him uh, uh, hopefully signing a third and putting this health care pillar bill on his desk and making it four out of four. Uh, uh, these issues are extremely important. Uh, um, to underserved communities. And, uh, you know, we, we can't continue uh, to overlook underserved communities. Thank you. Johnny Page asks a question that I'm sure everyone is concerned about and it touches everyone. What is the plan for public safety in relation to violence prevention and quality outreach? I don't think there has been a uh, neighborhood at least in the Chicagoland area. Um, I can't speak for uh, other parts of the state. I don't know their numbers, but we know that um, Chicago's numbers obviously have risen. And um, again, I'm not sure that this is the pandemic. Uh, we can't always use that as an excuse. We just know that we have some challenges. Um, I'm assuming that you are talking with maybe the mayor or 
um, other folks in the surrounding suburban areas about the increase in violence and public safety, the lack of public safety? Oh, absolutely, Jackie. We're having conversations across all levels of government, the mayor, the governor, uh, the legislature. You know, we're all concerned about about uh, the violence that we're seeing. But, you know, how do you address that? You address that by addressing these issues that, that we're, we're dealing with as a part of these uh, Black Caucus pillars. We have to give people an opportunity for education. We have to give people a job. You have to give people an opportunity uh, to put food on their tables, uh, you know, and, you know, people are struggling. And, and uh, when you when we don't do our job and give people opportunities, uh, you see that uh, um, uh, turn into um, uh, violence in, in, in the streets. And so we have to figure out from from a policy perspective, how do we create opportunities uh, and you're going to hear me say that over and over again. It's about the creation of opportunities and giving these folks alternatives um, uh, to doing what they're doing. Yeah, you continue to say we can't go back to normal. And I think that is um, key um, from your work with board diversity to the hospitals. Um, it was Westlake and now it's Mercy. And, you know, we, we're seeing all of that. So um, thank you for your continued work there. Christy DeLorentis says she couldn't agree more that the pandemic has created additional challenges for communities that have faced systemic inequity. Excuse me. The South suburbs struggle with, high, with highest priority tax rates and bills, which exacerbates economic challenges, inequity, jobs, et cetera. Are there opportunities to... Um, make inroads uh, for inclusional transform- transformational economic growth as part of your equity agenda. You talked a little bit about that, um, but could you expand on that a little bit more per her question? Well, I think, you know, what I took from that question was her reference to the South suburbs, Jackie, and the property tax bills that uh, crush many of those uh, working class families. Uh, and that's not just happening in the South suburbs, that's happening uh, all across the state. And so, as a legislature, you know, we're having conversations and talking about ways to provide property tax relief uh, uh, to uh, our homeowners in this state. Property tax relief is one of those things that, uh, you know, we're, we're going to make a, a priority uh, because, you know, we're all suffering from uh, high property taxes. And, uh, of course, uh, you know, the lower income communities seem to um, bear the brunt of that. And so uh, we have to address our unfair property tax system and, and, and find ways to provide property tax relief. And if we do that, that's going to uh, put money back in people's pockets to address other issues that they're facing. Uh, so important to to talk about that because we, um, again, don't realize things that we're, you, you get to see things that are happening all over the state um, in every community. Um, it's not just, you know, people always get the, I, I'm from central Illinois, proudly from there. And uh, we always get the mantra that we always hear often that, you know, well, it's Chicago, 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 and we know that it's not. Um, so thank you for that. Um, Raul Ramundo um, from the Resurrection Product Project, I'm sorry, has uh, asked a question about the diversity on boards, which we know is your bill. Um, what else can you see that needs to be done by way of diversity, um, not just on boards, but in corporate America? Yeah, you know, Raul, uh, thank you for that question. And 
thank you for the work that you do uh, day in and day out. The work of the Resurrection Project is amazing, and I'm proud of the work that you guys do there. Um, let me say this, that, you know, we have to address clearly more than board diversity. I do think that putting uh, uh, diverse people around a table will help corporations uh, create better policies that will increase their performance. Uh, and that's been proven by data from McKinsey and company. But I think we have to make sure corporations are, uh, you know, creating more opportunities in, in supplier diversity and, and things of that nature. Um, you know, look at, you know, who are you uh, hiring as your accountants and your lawyers and, um, you know, you know, diversify that portfolio because uh, that's how you're going to help create uh, wealth in, in the black and brown communities as well. Uh, um, there's so many uh, black and brown architects and accountants and lawyers out there that are being overlooked uh, and, and just need the opportunity. Uh, and we have to keep pounding that drum uh, as, as often as we can uh, and, uh, because we know that uh, the only thing missing is opportunity. Thank you. Uh, my good friend, Kim Dubuclay, reminded me that the word I was looking for was vertical. So uh, that, that's what I was looking for. Um, this is an excellent question with respect to that uh, horizontal and vertical question. Um, Alvaro Obaragon, um, pardon me for not saying your name exactly correct. I'm sure I didn't. What efforts, um, digital literacy and language issues can be undertaken to connect the underserved communities, the Asian community, Latino, Black, and um, other communities um, from an infrastructure perspective? This is all going to your, we must do this together, um, inclusion of all. And, um, you know, sh uh, I don't know what year Illinois is expected to be majority minority, but we know that Chicago will soon be a majority minority city. And we're looking at the United States by, I think they're saying 2040. So it's really not that far away. Um, and we will have, I, I, I learned of someone a couple of days ago that literally speaks four languages um, and has been speaking them her entire life. And um, that's just the way she grew up because of the diversity in her, um, in her bubble. Um, can we talk a little bit about how we're going to deal with this, this language issue and what you plan to do from your putting, putting back on your old educational hat uh, from when you were uh, school board president? Well, you know, I, I love being on a school board, by the way. I think the 12 years on a school board really helped prepare me uh, for this moment that we're in right now. Uh, and, you know, whatever you are, a teacher had something to do with it. And so I think that it's important that we uh, work with our schools, give them the tools that they need uh, to provide these extra opportunities uh, uh, for people from all backgrounds. We have to make sure they have the resources that they need so that there's no digital divide. You know, this whole remote learning thing troubled me uh, for several months because not every kid had a computer. Not every kid had access to the internet. Uh, and so we have to give our schools the resources they need uh, so that they can at least be able to teach. Um, we have to, um, you know, I'm, I'm really proud of the education reform package that the governor uh, signed uh, last week here in my district at Proviso East. Uh, that is going to, uh, you know, encourage uh, school districts to teach more black history. We have to do more than that. You know, the schools have to uh, teach 
uh, foreign languages. And, uh, um, you know, we have to be more inclusive all around uh, if we're going to continue uh, to be one of the most diverse states in the country and one of the most welcoming states in the country. Uh, we have to continue to be a destination place. And we do that by giving our schools uh, um, uh, the resources that they need to help build that foundation. Thank you so much. Speaker, we are so close to the end of the hour, and I know how you are about time. And uh, I want to let you know that the City Club certainly appreciates uh, your time that you've given us today. Uh, I know that I hounded you a little bit when you, for, I don't even know if I said congratulations first. I want to hope that as a friend, I did say congratulations first. But I think the second thing I said was, you're coming to City Club, right? So um, thank you. I want to thank our audience. And um, while I don't can't give this to you personally, I, I do have your, your your mug. Look at you. You're all excited to get it and everything. Um, I will make sure that we get this to you, and um, you can put it in your in your either in your district office or in Springfield, whichever. Um, I can't wait to see the new digs in in Springfield. Um, Thank you so much for taking the time out, not just for the City Club audience, but for the citizens of Illinois. Uh, I know how hard you work. I know that uh, your family comes first, but you've got a new hat on and they are somehow meshed into the, the citizens of Illinois and you are giving all you've got. Um, I appreciate that. We all appreciate the work that you're doing. And um, I know that this will not be um, the last time that you speak when you ever you feel like you have something that you want to talk about. Please um, call us first. Hit me on the hip and you know that I will get that information directly over. Um, I'm sure that Dr. Mazur will have some follow up questions for you. He always does. Uh, thank you so much for the time. Your staff has been great. And um, I will close this out. Thank you to our audience. Thank you for the time. And uh, we look forward to next time, and it won't be that far away. Thank you, Speaker. Thank you, Jackie. Thank you, everyone. Have a good afternoon.